Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Evie Smith Hatmaker. Evie, are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's rock. Let's let's rock. Evie is the founder and CEO of Rebellious PR, their public relations firm, Disrupting Industries. Evie, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, personal life. I feel like my personal life is my professional life because I'm a business owner, but um, I would say when I describe myself to people, I, you know, I played roller derby for 12 years and that was a huge part of my life. Um, I love team sports. I love supporting women in sports. Um, I have a wife, I have a beautiful dog. Um, you know, just kind of like normal, normal things. I guess my life at 40 is a, a kind of boring <laughs> by my 28 year old standards. But yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of Rebellious PR and consulting. And we are a, pretty unique PR agency that specializes in working with underrepresented founders. Nice. It's 12 years of roller dober. I think we should do an entire podcast just on that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, it's like a really messed up sorority, you know, where instead of like wearing cute sweaters and I don't know, doing keg stands, we do, you know, full body checks and (laughs) get knee surgeries. (laughs) Right. And probably do keg stands. Maybe, yeah, Maybe. in my earlier days. It's, it's, certainly, it's, 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 it's potentially available. Got it. So after 12 years, what, what, what was the, the factor that said 12 years is enough? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I'd had three knee surgeries. Um, when I started playing roller derby, I was 27. And when I finished playing roller derby, I was, how old am I? 40, I was like in my late 40, or late 30s. And there was this thing that had happened in addition to my body starting to like, you know, having to spend a lot of time nursing my body was that there was this entire generation of junior skaters that had started skating, you know, probably right around the time I started, we actually established a junior derby league within our league. um, And like, it was just this huge wave of girls who had been just as much skating experience who were like 18 were coming into the the big leagues. And it was, it was just like hard. I don't have the energy or the buoyancy of an 18 year old. And also, you know, when I started roller derby, it was this amazing social experience and, you know, being 38, 39, I love 18 year olds, but like, that's not where I want to spend my free time, like been there, done that. And like, I couldn't kind of like relive the day to day drama <laughs> of it all. And rebellious was taking off. So it was really just like this beautiful time to sort of like, kind of go out on my own and like go on this, this journey. But I always like to say that rebellious is a business built on roller derby. Um, my, one of my senior staff members is a gal that her and I played roller derby against each other for a really long time. Um, she was in Los Angeles and I was in Santa Cruz. And then we've had like over the years, like handfuls of clients of other business owners who we knew because, through roller derby who've like brought in their business to us. So it is very much like a sorority um, in that way where it's like we kind of always stay connected. And um, even if I didn't know somebody directly, we're still sort of like connected by the community of roller derby. So it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool connection. I'm I'm pretty proud that I did that for as long as I did. Yeah, awesome. Love it. All right. So so tell me about about PR. Tell me about public relations. What is that? What does that mean? 
Yeah. I mean, that is also the question I get in a lot of biz dev meetings. Uh, people often don't know what PR is, but know that they need it. Mm. Um, at a like very like high existential level, PR is the like feeling that somebody gets when they think about you, your product, your brand. Now there's a lot of like manufacturing of that feeling that happens that, um, you know, really like gets spread around the entire like marketing pie, I like to say. And PR is sort of the the megaphone and all of the messaging, the advertising, um, all of the earned media. Um, so I think PR sort sort of spider webs into a lot of other areas like social media, influencer marketing, um, digital marketing, uh, all of it. We kind of, I feel like touch it in some way, but um, we're really like, you know, setting the vibe for a company and really yeah. using our relationships to get the message out. Got it. Nice. So you talked about how, how PR is the megaphone of marketing. I, it seems like there's probably a lot of overlap between all of this, some of it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that's sort of the reason why we're actually, um, we have in the last couple of years, like branched out of just doing PR, which traditional PR is really just like earned media. It's like going out and getting articles for um, your clients. And it just felt like it was like, well, if we're really good at this, why can't we do paid media? Why can't we do social media? Why can't we do influencer? Why can't we do branding? Because it all is sort of interconnected. And I feel like we have such a, a unique touch uh, and like a uh, prerogative and like how we do work. And so, yeah, it is, we, it is on everything. And we're kind of, I think, trying to fully take over somebody's marketing department at this, at this point. Yeah. I think that that's awesome. So tell me about your unique, your unique touch. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's a few things that are really important to me as a human being that I have established at Rebellious. I think one of them is honesty and transparency. Um, I think that I really care about doing good work. Um, I've always sort of jokingly called myself the Michael Jordan of PR. Um, and like, if you watch that documentary, sometimes that guy's pretty brutal, right? So I think that there is sort of this old school way of doing business where the client's always right, but then the client's not always right. And the work suffers because of that. And so what I'm interested in, what my team's interested in is, you know, working together creatively to create like the best possible end product um, that we think that the public is going to really enjoy and love. And so it's really taking a product or a project or a campaign to its full potential. And we, you know, I think the other thing that's really cool and unique about us is like, we are a very diverse agency and that is by design. And, you know, I've read a lot of business books. I went, you know, heard a lot of TED talks, like the whole thing. And, you know, everybody points to if you are in a room and you are with other people that graduated from the college you graduated with, look just like you, have the same experience, of course, you're going to love your own ideas. And so I think what we've done is sort of created this natural tension to like really collaborate and push each other to like do some amazing work. Yeah, I appreciate that. The Michael Jordan of PR. <laughs> nice. So yeah. I think that that's awesome. All right. Um, interesting. Fascinating. Super important. Um, diversity of, of, of all things. Not just the way that we look, but the way that we think about things and our perspective and our ideas and, and everything. And so 
that 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 was somewhat intentional it's it's just probably in in your dna tell me a little bit more about that yeah i worked in silicon valley for about a decade and uh as a gay woman in silicon valley working in pr agencies i really felt tokenized Hmm. and isolated um i felt like you know, I, I definitely had good friends that I worked with where it like wasn't like a thing. But then when people don't know you, they only know this like identity, you know. And so, you know, I, I got stuck at the water cooler listening to a lot of boring conversations about somebody's like fourth cousin who was a lesbian. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I like awesome. a lot of other things. This isn't the only thing about me that's like, you know, part of my identity. <laughs> Um, and I just felt like if I was experiencing this as like a cis white woman, then like, what, what was it like for people of color? And like, why weren't there more people of color at the agencies that I was seeing? And then, you know, really thinking into my own community, it was like, I couldn't imagine the agencies that I was at would ever hire a trans person or a non-binary human, you know, and it just really like broke my heart that I couldn't see people from my own community that I claim like being a part of my day-to-day work. And so when the opportunity arose for me to go out on my own, you know, my first two employees were actually trans. And, you know, obviously that wasn't like, I intentionally was like, I'm going to hire a trans person, but it was just like, okay, like these were the people who were around me who showed interest who, because they were in my community. And it was really great to get to build the business in the early days and like so many people who helped, um, you know, even if it was just like with admin or, you know, a single project, um, everybody was like from the queer community and then it just kind of expanded from there. Nice. I appreciate that. And and now that's, I think you mentioned at the top that a big part of your business is serving underrepresented or underrepresented organizations or for lack of a better term, niches. Yeah, um, I just felt like the best work I'd ever done in my career was when I was working with people or communities I cared about. Mm-hmm. I can like, you know, uh, shoot that that uh, free throw, <laughs> get it in. But like, you know, the, the work that I feel like I've always been the proudest of from my time in Silicon Valley is when I was working with underrepresented founders or companies that were being like truly disruptive in some like way that was like really unique to the consumer market. And so I, you know, I kind of created this filter to get to work with me. And I mean, the first thing was calling the company rebellious, you know, so people knew kind of out of the gate, I'm either for them or I'm not for them. You know, obviously I'm, I'm not a conformist. <laughs> and then the second level to that was like, okay, we work with underrepresented founders. And if you are not an underrepresented founder, you know that, you've kind of got to get through these two filters to like get to work with me or like want to work with me. Um, So there's almost like an understanding of, um, you know, kind of core and key ethics there. And so when we don't work with underrepresented founders, it's usually with some really awesome individuals who are like culturally, spiritually aligned with us in some way. But working with underrepresented founders, it just I mean, it just felt like, why aren't other companies specializing in this, I guess, is like my my question. So many people in biz dev interviews ask us what what our like market specialty is. And I'm just like, that's boring to me because like markets like expand and collapse all the time. Like, why would I base my business on that? Like I'm in the business of humans and people and relationships. And that's what I want to be my specialty. Nice. 
That yeah. certainly makes sense to me. <laughs> do you, do you, <laughs> do you feel like, like an underrepresented group can be a bit of an underdog? Is it a function of trying to break into the mainstream? Is it a function of just trying to change people's perceptions? It's all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also like this, especially in, in like what I do as far as like getting people's stories out in the world, right? Um, and I think that there's a lot of gatekeeping that happens. And I wanted to really break that down to give opportunity to underrepresented founders who might not otherwise be able to reach those gatekeepers. And so, you know, there's like some jokes about like the queer mafia and it's like, I know every gay person who's a journalist and they've probably written about my clients in, at some point in time if it's relevant. Um, but I think what I really wanted to do was like break down this sort of um, cyclical system of gatekeeping to give opportunities to underrepresented founders. And I mean, I think everybody who's not a white cis male in Silicon Valley is is an underdog in some way, shape or form. You know, it's it's like a radical idea to have, you know, female founders. I heard this crazy statistic that only 5% of companies that have a million dollars of revenue a year are founded by women. Hmm. And I was like shocked by that because we're, we're in that category. And I was like, how did I like, how did I become this in this like elite 5% that's wild to me? And then the, you know, it just gets smaller and smaller there once you start thinking about, you know, black women, uh, black trans women, uh, black women who are getting, you know, um, uh, uh, funding, you know, it's just like it, it's, it's wild that there's, it feels like there's so little opportunity. And so what I guess what I'm trying to do is help create opportunity. Um, But yeah, I, everyone loves an underdog story for sure. Um, But I think, I think that there's, um, there's almost like something else there to it that I think really gets people excited. I think people love seeing themselves um, in good stories and success. So yeah. thousand percent. I don't know yeah. If your question, but <laughs> no, I, I, I think I ask a pretty uh, clunky question, but I, I think I, I am a, I'm a person who, who I fancy myself a pragmatic person and I, I, I would just see opportunity everywhere. I'd see if I were in your shoes and, and that's, mm-hmm. it, it really, it really sounds like, it sounds like that's certainly what you're doing. And obviously that you're enjoying the success that you are is evidence that you are doing what you are doing and the opportunity to take that number of 5% and make it, you know, 50 or a hundred or whatever, just to, just to exponentially grow that. So I think that that's super exciting. Um, what are, what do you wish that the, that, that, that more people knew about PR? Yeah, I think I, I would love it if people could just understand it a little bit more. I think that, you know, at a very like consumery pop culture level, there's like PR is happening all the time in these like celebrity relationships or like when somebody has food poisoning, you know, it's like they're, they're, all of that is PR, like a publicist is behind that. And so I think that there is sort of this uh, veil that kind of needs to be pulled back a little bit more. Um, I would say, you know, I've been doing this now almost 15 years and my parents still don't really grasp what I do. I think like once I became a business owner, they were like, oh, you're a, you're like a startup founder. You're a business owner. But I'm like, I'm like, mom, tell me what I do. And she would just be like, I don't know. You go to parties, (laughs) you travel a lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> you talk to journalists, I think your wife's a journalist. Yeah. So it's, it's, there is sort of, I think good PR, the thing about good PR is you don't see it. Right. So it's like, we have the, the most invisible strings, bad PR is when you do get a sense of it. But I, I think it's just like, you know, understanding that a lot of things that happen in the world in the public eye, that a lot of people worked to put that out there and to make it happen. Yeah. Interesting. That doesn't surprise me necessarily, Evie. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that your mom still really doesn't know what you, what you do. <laughs> but that's probably a thousand percent true of me and my mom also. So that just kind of is what it is. So what, what, how does a typical engagement start? Walk me through that process. Yeah. Um, you know, usually, uh, you're looking for a PR agency or you're looking to do an event or a project. Um, you know, we get a lot of inbounds. We're very blessed. Um, like knock on wood for that. We always have been. Um, so everything starts with an exploratory call. And from there we really identify like, okay, like what are your hopes and dreams? Like, what are you really after with this product, with this event, with this campaign? And then we sort of like walk it back from there. Now, you know, do you want to be on the Ellen show? Okay, that's not going to happen. <laughs> We're going to tell you that, but we will tell you like what is realistic. And we'll start to build out like uh, an, a strategy plan with the client. Um, you know, engagement for us, like on a um, contractual basis looks, um, you know, we like to work with people, um, like for four months, um, unless it's like, like for a specific shorter campaign, we feel that any company that is looking to start PR, um, is looking to do it like on an ongoing basis. I always recommend contracting for at least four months with somebody because it takes about 12 weeks for media, for the media relations pitching to start to turn over. And that is, almost every single client, every single time. And I will tell you at week eight, I get, I always get the calls where people are like, I see a lot of pitches going out and I'm not seeing a lot of interest. And I'm like, I told you 12 weeks. <laughs> you're not, you're now. not special. It is 12 weeks. So I feel like four weeks is like, or uh, four months is really like an opportunity for an, any kind of agency, us or anybody to like really be able to show you what we got. And also to see if like the story's viable. Like sometimes, you know, we're great at our jobs, but sometimes what we have to work with isn't the best, you know, or isn't the best for what the climate is right now. And we've got to like try other strategies and tactics. But yeah, I would say it's a, uh, it's a lot of talking, any kind of engagement with us to start. And then, you know, we kind of build a unique machine for a client and, you know, really start cranking it. And um, I would say we're very task driven and really hungry to win. We love winning. Um, we work as a team over here, you know, like when one, te one, one person on the team wins, we all win. Um, and so it's just, I think we kind of become like a company's cheerleaders it, when, it, when it all falls into place right. That's really what we are. I love it. Well, Evie, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, we always have this thing at Rebellious PR where we're always telling each other to stay hydrated. <laughs> it's like a real important thing. I think it's one of those things in COVID where it's really easy to forget. But I think, you know, stay hydrated, wear your sunscreen, and always ask why. So you'll get three for one from me today. <laughs> well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Stay hydrated, wear sunscreen, and always ask why. Powerful difference-making tip. I love it. Well, Evie, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you and Rebellious PR? 
Yeah, just uh, check us out at rebelliouspr.com or we are on the Instagram um, at, at rebelliouspr and um, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Evie your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to rebelliouspr.com and find them on Instagram as well and reach out and find out if there's an opportunity to work together. Thanks again, Evie. Yeah, have a good one. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together.